G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, there's a diligent search on for alien life as astronomers cast their gaze across the expanse of the universe. Well, the newest, most sophisticated technology is the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope. 30 years in the making, the successor to the Hubble Telescope and it's scheduled for launch into space a year or so from now. Now, it's a joint project between NASA, partnering with the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. It'll search for to find the first galaxies that formed in the early universe and peer through dusty clouds to see stars forming planetary systems. It'll be the world's largest, most powerful and complex space science telescope ever built. So, as a Christian, what would you expect the astronomers will find when they are gazing into space? Well, our special guest today is Scott Devlin. He's a geophysicist and one of the newest members of the team at Creation Ministries International. Scott, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be here. Scott, uh, you hail from the UK. Our listeners will note your English accent and uh, you've been a full-time scientist and speaker with Creation Ministries here in Australia now for a couple of years. Give us a little bit of your background. That's right. Well, um, I grew up in the UK and I um, came to Christ at about 18 years old and realised that he was real and that I needed to follow him. And so I made that decision then. Uh, I went on to study geophysics, which I'd already uh, subscribed to the university before becoming a Christian. Um, Actually, after becoming a Christian, I didn't want to go on and study. Um, I had plans of going to Bible school and being a missionary, but I felt God leading me that way. So I continued my study, and then I ended up working as a geophysicist for a number of years. Um, I've had a few different jobs in a few different industries, and I came to Australia about four years ago with my wife, pregnant at the time and we now have two kids who are both Australian. Um, I'm actually half Australian because my mum's Australian so it was easy for me to get in the door here. It wasn't too hard. Good. And um, yeah it was just two years ago. uh, About two years ago now I very serendipitously or God ordained uh, stepped into the Creation Ministries office. And so who would have thought uh, that the, the heart for mission might be combined with your scientific studies and as a geophysicist, you now find your way as a geophysicist missionary? Because in some sense, when you're working in mission, you're a spokesperson for creation ministries. That's what you're doing. You're actually doing mission and you're doing science. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something only God could orchestrate and Myself and my wife came over here to Australia as missionaries. We felt led by the Lord that we were supposed to come here. Um, sometimes we find it hard because it's very comfortable. Yep. <laughs> and a missionary life is not supposed to be so comfortable. I was just thinking about the weather as I hopped into the car today and I thought it wouldn't be this nice if I was back in England. 
Well, uh, not every listener today will think that uh, what we're going to talk about is in line with what they think of mainstream scientists. So uh, there might be some uncomfortable questions. And I do want to invite listeners to join in our conversation. 1-800-316-316 if you want to talk about space today and especially around the sorts of things we're going to talk about. But just uh, first before we do, let's tie your geophysics into the idea of telescopes because one of your areas of expertise is in this idea of imaging and so I imagine that the same sort of imaging science that's used in geophysics uh, when it comes to earth science uh, is something similar to what happens in the detection of things in outer space. Is this the way it works? That's a really good point, Neil. Um, So often we see press releases of exoplanets, which we're going to talk about later, stars that are many light years away from us, but we have no way of traveling there. Um, The furthest we've been is the Voyager spacecraft, which has just approached the outer limits of our solar system and actually gone just beyond that. And so that's Neptune and Pluto and just beyond Pluto, that's where we've, we've traveled to. So a lot of these observations further than that rely specifically on imaging, as you say. So all we have are very fancy digital cameras. Some of them fly in space and some of them are on the ground. And all we're looking at is light. And we're analyzing that light to determine what is very far away. So we've started to talk about this new telescope that's not even in the air yet. And a $10 billion project, 30 years in the making, the successor to the Hubble telescope. You must be pretty excited about this because scientists get excited about these things perhaps more than anybody. Uh, But the James Webb Space Telescope, it is a pretty special little piece of equipment, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I am very excited about it. Um, It has been... A long time in the coming. It was actually due to launch in 2007, and it was only to cost $500 million. But um, it's been delayed and delayed, and it's cost about $10 billion so far. And actually, when I started writing this article on the James Webb Space Telescope, which will soon appear on creation.com, I had wrote that it would launch in March 2021, but it got delayed again. And this time because of the coronavirus. <laughs> COVID uh, doesn't have any preferences here. It affects everything. And uh, so even the launch of the newest technology space telescope. Hey, let's get into some of the controversies here because uh, there is a search for extraterrestrial life. And from time to time, so many listeners will know that you've seen in the news headlines or current affairs programs, all sorts of stories about, you know, is there life on Mars? The whole idea of, you know, going to the moon, using that as a base to go on to Mars missions. And uh, is there water on the moon? And of course there is. Uh, There's uh, liquid water too on Mars. Uh, These sorts of things are really exciting for uh, people who love... uh, you know, science fiction, but this is reality science. Uh, your thoughts here on this search for extraterrestrial life and our exp- exploration of the universe? Yes, well, that's actually one of the aims of the James Webb Space Telescope is to find habitable worlds that are beyond our solar system. And as you mentioned, the look we've generally been looking within our solar system, um, and Mars is often talked about in the press, but... Um, Oh, sorry to pick you up on something there, but you said liquid water on Mars. There's actually not liquid water on okay, Mars. All there right. is water and there is ice, but because the pressure is so low on the Martian surface, it, the ice just sublimes directly into water vapor. And so this is one of the reasons why it's not livable. Uh, 
people do think that there was water on Mars at once. They actually think there was a global flood on Mars, which is kind of interesting because the Earth is covered with 71% of water, yet they don't think there was a global flood on the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a concern, isn't it? Controversial because, yes, a global flood on Mars but none on Earth. And, uh, of course, uh, the biblical account has a global flood here on Earth. Now, when you say pressure, the pressure on Mars means that the liquid dissipates into gas uh, the pressure when you're looking at planets, this is this is how the telescope actually can can actually see what's happening in planets because it measures the pressure that's on those planets. Yeah, so pressure is a really crucial thing on the surface of a planet, and actually a larger planet will attract a greater atmosphere and therefore have more atmosphere next to the surface, and therefore we have a greater pressure at the surface. So, for example, Venus. Um, which is our other next-door neighbor. So we have Venus, Earth, and then Mars as we go further out from the sun. Um, that has a very high pressure, uh, about 90 times that of Earth. So you'd be crushed if you s- stood on Venus. Uh, whereas Mars has a very low pressure. Um, it has, doesn't have a lot of atmosphere. And so that's one of the key things that the James Webb Space Telescope will be looking at. It'll be looking at exoplanets, which are planets that orbit other stars, and it will be trying to identify how much atmosphere those exoplanets have. If it has sufficient atmosphere, but not too much, so just like the Earth, basically, um, not too much and not too little. If you have too little, you like Mars. If you have too much, you like Venus. And so because we know that uh, the environment on Earth can sustain life, then scientists are looking for exoplanets. They're the planets that are uh, revolving around the stars in other solar systems uh, throughout our galaxy. And because they've got this new technology, this wonderful new telescope, they don't actually have to go there to be able to tell what sort of environment is on those planets, but they can tell because of the imaging and the thickness of the atmosphere around about those exoplanets. Uh, This is an important uh, development, isn't it, so far as uh, how scientists look at the planets? Yes, yeah, exactly. So at the moment we can... So just to talk about exoplanets a bit because people might not be familiar with the term exoplanet, and I mentioned it briefly there, but basically we've wondered for a while now we can see a lot of stars in the universe. So as we, even without a telescope, you look into the night sky and you can see thousands and thousands of stars. And there's actually millions and billions out there. Um, and if you have a strong enough telescope, you can see them. Um, but we've wondered, are there planets orbiting those stars just like planets orbit our sun in our solar system? Now, that question wasn't actually answered until as late as 1995 when the first exoplanet orbiting a main-sequence star was detected. And since then, we've sent telescopes into space to look specifically for exoplanets because it's been very exciting. Um, It's exciting for a number of reasons. And as we mentioned earlier, it's exciting for those people that think that there's extraterrestrial life out there because they finally have a place where it could exist. We've really exhausted all the potential places for uh, complicated life in our solar system. We've looked on Mars. It was really, as I, and I know it doesn't look like that when you look in the media, but it was really as early as 1974 with the Viking lander from NASA that was specifically sent with the mission to look for life on Mars, and it didn't find any. 
And the very first probes to Venus from the Russians found that that crushing atmosphere that we described and also temperatures on the surface of over 460 Celsius. So you could just melt lead on Venus. So anyway, our two nearest neighbor planets definitely don't have any life on. Um, Now, I'll just caveat that slightly. People are looking for, they think there might be microbial life living under the surface of Mars. So it's postulated that maybe there's water underneath the surface and maybe microbial life could live there. Now, that is a possibility and it needs to be explored, but it seems very unlikely. So the full story is that life in our solar system, uh, apart from on Earth, doesn't seem possible at all. Okay, it doesn't seem possible. So the idea of little green men and uh, the way we think of aliens, extraterrestrials uh, with intelligence and a a capacity for sustaining life on other planets, uh, certainly within our solar system, is basically confirmed impossible. Uh, Nothing's going to work in our solar system. So we send out a telescope into space and we want to go beyond our solar system. We want to find other solar systems. And these are many, many, many uh, 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 light years that people are talking about away. Uh, So the distance is itself a huge issue. But we can see a long way into the past in the sense of uh, what light is coming to us. Uh, give us some in, uh, insight here around your thought about, uh, you know, when they're looking for uh, the earliest galaxy formations, uh, the Big Bang idea. Give us a, a little insight here. Yeah, this is a really good question, Neil. And there's a lot of contro- controversy here. And it actually depends on your theory and model of the universe. And specifically, you mentioned light and it taking time to reach us. Well, actually, that's only borne out by a convention that Einstein brought in in the early 19th century. Um, And it's called the um, Einstein Synchrony Convention. And you could actually have a different synchrony convention that would allow light to come immediately to us here on Earth, but travel at half the speed of what we now call the speed of light back. And there's actually no way to disprove that. Um, That's one particular model that would say actually when you look out at light in the universe and you look out at these early uh, galaxies they're not early galaxies what you're seeing is actually what is happening now and there's a creation astronomer called Jason Lyle um, who talks about this model of the universe a lot and for people that are interested I suggest uh, looking up him now there are other creation astronomers that would accept the standard two-way speed of light, as the Einstein Synchrony Convention tells us as it is. Um, But they have different models that say, hang on, although these distant galaxies are very far away, and we don't disagree with that because that's real operational science, we can say these galaxies are very far away. But what um, I'm keen that the listeners to understand, Neil, is that that does not mean that it took 5 million light years to get here. It might be 5 million light years away, but 5 million light years to get here is a story, it's a history, and it's based upon evolutionary assumptions. Let's get into evolutionary assumptions here, because even the idea, Scott, that there is life on other planets is fueled by this idea of uh, an evolutionary idea, because, uh, well, if, uh, if God didn't create us, Uh, There must be life on many other planets throughout the universe as well. This is an evolutionary idea that that actually motivates even sending a telescope like this new one into space. That's correct, Neil. Um, 
Yeah, so we've had a great wave of interest in extraterrestrial life. And actually, I've seen figures of millions and millions of people within America that have had encounters with extraterrestrials. Now, from a biblical worldview, we would not say that they're extraterrestrials. We would say they're of spiritual of nature and they're not good. And that's how most people would have described these things before the theory of evolution. Um, we would have talked to talk about angels and demons would have been more commonplace. But now, because of evolutionary theory, when people do have these experiences, they often describe them as extraterrestrials. And even those people that would not, scientists say, that are more naturalistic in their mind and wouldn't believe in any spiritual phenomenon, as you're alluding to, they would propose that there should be life elsewhere in the universe. Because if life is an accident on Earth, then surely it's happened elsewhere. This accident can't just happen once in such a vast universe. That accident must have happened somewhere else. And that drives our search to go and find this extraterrestrial life. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. Our special guest is Scott Devlin, geophysicist. We're talking about the launch of a new telescope. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. $10 billion, 30 years in the making. The successor to the Hubble telescope is going to peer into space and it's looking for uh, alien life. It's looking for life on exoplanets, those planets that are uh, revolving around stars in other parts of other solar systems. There's a search on for life on other planets. Scott, let's bring the creation perspective in here because as Christians, we say God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and uh, when we start to see all of the scientific developments and the search for life and the headlines that are often misleading we're somehow led astray and even that brings doubt to our idea that God is creator give us some insights here into a creationist perspective on all of these developments yeah that's a really good point Neil is that uh, the Bible says in Psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens declare the glory of God and Really, we've, in the last 30 years, with the Hubble telescope, we've discovered really how vast and how big the universe is. Now, from a secularist or a naturalistic point of view, um, that can often point to us being very small and us being very insignificant. And a famous astronomer in the 80s and 90s, now dead, uh, Carl Sagan, took a picture, well, he didn't take the picture, but a picture from the Voyager spacecraft, which had flown out of our solar system, looked back and took a picture of our Earth, saw a tiny blue dot. We were just a tiny blue dot. And he was famous for emphasizing that we are just on this tiny blue dot in this vast universe. So that's the secular or naturalistic point of view. But if we look at it from a biblical worldview, um, the Earth really is the focal point of God's creation. That's the thing that he focuses on in his six days of creation. He actually makes the stars uh, and all the exoplanets just in one day, in one moment. And it's just a side mention. But as Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So the vastness of it should make us think, wow, God is vast. God is amazing. Do you think that a lot of Christians have difficulty with the idea that God could speak and the universe could come into being uh, in one day or in the six days of creation? Do you think that 
Christians somehow or other, because we've become very secularized, uh, we have a science view, and, uh, and science, as uh, some say, it's not that science speaks, but scientists do. And so if a scientist has a different view, and they say, oh, this must have happened over billions of years, that casts a real doubt. How do you think Christians uh, relate to this idea that God could speak and the universe could come into being? Um, that's a good question and a good insight. What, I'll pick up what you said there. You said scientists say things. Um, it's not the science that does the conclusion. It's not the science that does the interpretation. It's the scientist. And having that insight would be very key for Christians in general. And I would encourage people to look at the results of science and see what are the facts and see what are the opinions. And so that's that's a really good point to start with. But yeah, to answer your question, Neil, um, we are in a evolutionized world since the 19th century, since the theory of evolution. It's not just biological evolution. We've got cosmic evolution, um, which is what we're talking about here. And we get taught that in schools. I got taught it in school as I was growing up. We get taught that in museums. We get taught that on billboards. We get taught that when we switch on the TV. So, yes, I think for Christians, when they read the Bible, how do they fit the Bible with what they're being taught from all these other streams? It is a difficult task. I sometimes think uh, to believe that God created uh, when he spoke, creation came into being, that's not so hard to believe when we think of, as a Christian believer, knowing that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and he'll speak that into being. We don't expect that's going to take billions of years to come into being. So there is a certain sense when you're talking early uh, to talk late and understand that uh, God has uh, the history of the universe uh, in his hand, that he can do great things like that. Yes, it's a really good point. If God is going to speak into being the new heavens and the new earth in an instant, surely he could do it with the earth. And so, uh, some people say, well, could God really create the earth in just six days, as the Bible says? Um, surely it would take him longer. And really the answer to that is, well, if God is God, he can create the earth in a second. Um, so then the better question is, why did God take six days? Um, why did he take six days and rest on the seventh? Well, the answer is found in Exodus 20.11. And it was God wrote in stone for Moses that uh, six days you should work and the seventh day you'll rest because that is what God did. He worked for six days and he rested on the seventh. So he did it as a model for us to follow. Let's talk the controversies here, because uh, when we are Christian believers, uh, we believe that God created the first man and woman. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so uh, did he die for the sins of aliens on an exoplanet at another solar system uh, at the same time as he died for ours? And, of course, uh, there's conflict here if we think that there's life on other planets when we want to recognize that God has sent the Savior, the Redeemer, to redeem us from our sins because uh, someone else on another planet might not be under the same sort of regime we are. Yes, exactly. If if you think that there might be extraterrestrial life elsewhere and that's intelligent uh, life that can think and breathe a bit like us, then you've got to ask yourself the question, what is God's plan for them? Because Jesus came once and he came to the earth and he came as a man because he's our kinsman redeemer. He's not related to these aliens on other worlds. Uh, therefore, he died for us and for our sins. So, in the end, when the heavens are burnt up, what will become of these supposed extraterrestrials? Surely they're doomed for eternity, 
but without any hope of salvation, which doesn't seem like God. So is it an aimless, meaningless and expensive search that scientists might launch a telescope like this because they are searching for extraterrestrial life? Uh, We might think as Christian believers, uh, if we believe the word of God, that God is the creator and that there isn't going to be, you know, it's a, a futile search. Is it something that they are wasting their time with? Uh, because we like the excitement of uh, of an exploration, of expeditions that are finding out new things. What are your thoughts around uh, whether it's a waste of money to send a telescope off into space to find these things? I would say no, because as they look for exoplanets with habitable atmospheres that might be habitable for life, what they're actually doing is they're showing just how uniquely designed the Earth is. They don't realize that, but every press release every scientific paper that's coming out is showing us that in fact even our solar system is very unique we have four rocky planets on the inside of our solar system and then we have the gas giants on the outside actually every other solar system seems to be the other way around or every other star system i should say solar system is a word just or a term just used for our solar system so and then when you look at the earth the earth is incredibly special we are designed for life. Um, it's Isaiah forty-five eighteen says, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. And that verse is really given evidence to by all of these discoveries of exoplanets. So the search, in fact, is good. And if the search does uncover all sorts of things we didn't know before, uh, we would anticipate as Christian believers that those things will affirm that God is the creator, that there is the need for a creator to make those things to come into being. Scott, let's take a call or two from listeners. Uh, Let's, first of all, hear from Brent in Kyabram. Hello, Brent. Hello. Hi. I'm actually living in Berrigan, but I'm in Kyabram for a couple of hours in Victoria. Um, heaven is the last and final place where God wills, wills humanity to dwell. The only way to heaven is through Jesus, whom God sent to earth. It's the way to heaven. Um, if there was beings on other planets, aliens, um, does God have a plan for them? Jesus has fulfilled his mission. Uh, yep, good question. Let's uh, let's get a thought or two here from Scott. Scott, uh, you know, if there are beings created and they're on other planets, what's God's plan for them? Well, yes, the Bible doesn't talk about any plan for them, but the Bible also doesn't talk about them being there at all. Really, God created life on the earth, and he created man as the pinnacle of all his creation, and he sent Jesus to die for man. Okay, uh, great response. Uh, fairly straightforward. And uh, Brent, does that satisfy your thoughts there? Yes, it satisfies my thoughts. I've always known there was only life on Earth and human beings on Earth. And that um, Jesus has fulfilled his mission. And thanks. Fabulous. Brent, thank you for your call. Brent from Kyabram in Victoria, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, let's take another call. Elaine is in Warhope in New South Wales. Hi, Elaine. Welcome. Hello. Um, I was thinking, like, if, I mean, God created the earth and all that sort of, and us, so there's no reason why he can't create um, human beings on other planets. And he'd love them just as much. (laughs) Well, if God did create those human beings on other planets, no doubt he would love them. But uh, your response here, Scott? 
Yeah, Elaine, I agree with you. If he did create uh, human beings on other planets, I'm sure he would love them. And I believe he would also provide a way of salvation for them. The Bible says that we've all been subject to the curse. It talks about this in Romans 8, that all of creation is travailing as in the groans of childbirth, waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed. And we are, so all of creation is under the curse. So that means if God did create uh, beings on other planets, they would also be suffering under the curse. Now, if Jesus came only to earth, and if Jesus came as a human, as our kinsman redeemer, then he didn't come to save possible beings on other planets. Therefore, we conclude the Bible doesn't talk about God creating beings on other planets. He didn't send Jesus to other planets. So uh, the human race is the only human race. <laughs> Elaine, does that satisfy you as an answer? Well, sort of, but um, it doesn't say he did. I mean, it doesn't say God didn't create them, but... Um, I mean, he certainly created man, and I, I can't see any reason why there can't be a man on another bit of planet. I mean, and so what if there is? So what if there isn't? It doesn't really matter. And that's an interesting interesting point you're making there, Elaine, because uh, as I've spoken to lots of creationists who say that uh, technically, as someone who believes that God is creator, that doesn't rule out that God might have done something in another place in the universe. It's just that he hasn't told us about that. And if there was an issue with the same sin issue, then he would deal with that in a different way, in the way that he would deal with it. But he's given to us a way to deal with the sinfulness of mankind and his connection with us through Christ. Uh, any further thoughts for Elaine there? Yeah, Elaine, look, I would agree with you because of the silence of the Bible. It doesn't mean that it's not necessarily so. The Bible, um, you know, there, there are things that are not uh, said in the Bible, but God's done. Uh, for example, exoplanets we're talking about. There's no mention of exoplanets there, but we know that they're part of God's creation. Um, but the point we're making is because there's only one hope of salvation, as the Bible's clear about, and that's Jesus, uh, and because he came in a human form to absolve us of our sin, then that precludes the possibility of other intelligent life being out there because God would surely not just leave them to a fiery ending without hope of eternal life. Elaine, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Lots of people responding on our Facebook post today. Get your thought on a comment or two here, Scott. Helen says, I wouldn't be surprised if God has created a new world out there somewhere. I remember asking mum as a kid, wouldn't God get bored after we all go to heaven and we live forever? I guess as a kid, forever seemed to be a long time. Uh, these are interesting uh, thoughts that, uh, that that might reflect a lot of listeners. Uh, yes, correct, yeah. Heaven's a long time. <laughs> but God um, made us the centre of his creation. Uh, he made the world, and the world was, in his view, the centre point. Uh, the masterpiece of what he made. That's what he concentrated on. Uh, so, yes, heaven's going to be a long time, but there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And it says that we're going to be governing and ruling and reigning with Jesus. I think there's going to be a lot of things to do in the new heavens and new earth. Now, a Facebook question asks, do you think scientists will ultimately find alien life on other planets? Chris says, no, I think it would be, it would, 
kind of make the Bible pointless if there was. In saying that, like evolution, they'll make stuff up to make it look real. Now, this is an interesting point that Chris is making. What's your response for him? Yeah, I agree with Chris there that actually if we find alien life or if we supposedly find microbial life on a distant planet, of course, there would be no way of confirming that if it's outside of a solar system because we cannot visit it. It's simply too far away. If that was found, that would be great evidence for the secular model. Surely they would say to us, this disproves the Bible because there is life on other planets. And the Bible says God made life on Earth. Let's take another call. Val is on the line from South Australia. Hi, Val. Welcome. Hello. I've got a question you haven't thought about. How about, is it possible that life, uh, life as, uh, from the view of the other side, other spiritual side, they can create man, they can create a being that is not of God, but it's of the Lucifer or the demonic. It's possible because it happened in the, in the centuries. It's been excavated. Well, we're talking about the Anakin. That's another thing. But Lucifer, the satanic wisdom, we underestimate. I believe there are beings there. If there are, then it was not God. It's Lucifer who created it. He can do that. I believe he can. Val, you're making some interesting points there. So uh, even demonic beings creating life on other planets. If if God hasn't created the life there, uh, maybe it's come from another source altogether. What are your thoughts for that? Well, Val, you were touching on some interesting things there. And often there's a discussion about who were the Nephilim, and you can read that in about that in Genesis. And also look up creation.com, and we've got a good explanation there. So God is the uncreated creator, and he's the creator of everything. So even the devil was created by God. Um, so God is the creator. Yes, the devil somehow chose to disobey and fell, uh, but God is the uncreated creator. So uh, not this idea of uh, there might be the supreme God, uh, who we'd say the God of the Bible, but then demigods, undergods that might be uh, creating life in other places. Now, uh, those are all sorts of uh, fanciful thoughts, uh, and they are uh, perhaps the stuff of science fiction uh, or perhaps the stuff of dreaming and imagining all sorts of things uh, when you are trying to search for some level of purpose and meaning. And for a lot of people, I'll get your thoughts here, Scott, for a lot of people, the idea of a search for an extraterrestrial that might give them an alternative to the God of the Bible because we don't want to follow that God. We want another God to follow. What are your thoughts for uh, for those sorts of imaginings that take you way outside of and almost into a fanciful uh, realm of, uh, of imagination? Yeah, that's a good point, Neil. And as we were touching on earlier, a lot of this has been borne out by the theory of evolution. Um, but it's also an excuse, and as a theory of evolution was, it was the first intellectual excuse for atheism, I guess, before the theory of evolution. Atheism really had no in- decent intellectual basis. So, yeah, so the theory of evolution's come, and also we have lots of different ideas about aliens. And there's actually a very well sci- respected scientific idea called panspermia. Now, what's happened is a lot of scientists over the last 40, 50 years have found that 
life on Earth is impossible to reproduce, uh, as in from chemicals to biological um, form. That just doesn't happen. And that it's so improbable that things have evolved, especially from one kind to another, which the Bible says they can't evolve that way. So scientists have found this so improbable and so impossible that we have life that they decided, well, it must have come from outside. And basically, they've just pushed the problem further. And this idea of panspermia is that life, intelligent life, has come from outside the universe, from in the distant universe to Earth. And it's been dropped here by meteorites. So the little first single-celled organisms, they came on the back of a meteorite to Earth. Okay, really interesting ideas. Val, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Mal is in Northam in WA. Hi, Mal. Welcome. Uh, yes, good morning, uh, Neil, and uh, to your visitor uh, there. I believe his name was Scott. Yes, yes, I just heard that a few moments ago. Um, on the subject of people uh, being out there, um, I think we are only the only ones um, because it says in the word... Jesus died once for all. And um, you, Scott alluded to that a few moments ago, but uh, it says once for all. Now, we cannot, um, someone else could not have been created because that would be then twice. He said once for all. Um, yeah, that's my thought there. Fabulous. Mal, what are your thoughts for Mal, Scott? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mal. And Malcolm, that's exactly what it says in Romans 6.10 and 1 Peter 3.18, that he died once for all, once for all sin. Mal, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's talk here for a moment. Uh, because there are a lot of people who don't want to believe the biblical story the biblical creation narrative. They don't want to believe that there is a God who has revealed himself to humanity. So therefore, they're looking for some meaning outside of God. And so therefore, this whole search for extraterrestrial life becomes very important. Or the idea of finding other ways that somehow or other life came to planet Earth. As you say, it could have come on a cell on a on a uh, asteroid or a hit, you know, meteorite that hit Earth. Uh, people are looking for all sorts of alternatives but ignoring the evidence that what is on earth is so, so powerful and is in accordance with what we would understand is revealed from God in the Bible. Give us some insights here. Yes, Neil, you're alluding to Romans 1 where it says that God has revealed himself. The uncreated God has revealed himself through the things that he has made so that they are without excuse. And, and so actually, God has revealed himself through the incredible creation that we can see all around us. And yet to deny that is really to deny the obvious. But the two things that make that pill easy to swallow is, one, we're taught it from a very young age and we're not given the biblical explanation. We are living in this slightly post-Christian world. Yes, we're still a Christian nation, but you tell that to the state schools and the kids that are going through the state schools, they won't know a lot of Christian education. They're taught evolution from a very early age. Not that God created the world, but that it came here by accident. And so when we talk about just how complex, how sophisticated it is 
that we even have life that is sustained on a planet like ours. And going into even deeper things, like not just the fact that it's some sort of mechanical uh, reproduction that's brought, uh, you know, some sort of evolutionary way of creating some sort of being, but then consciousness that's added into all of that. I mean, these things start to get very complicated, and it just shows how sophisticated it is that we have a sustainable life on planet Earth. And uh, when we're looking for evidence, the evidence is everywhere. Yeah, that's right. And you were touching on things that are simply not materialistic. We have consciousness. We have justice. Um, Can we find the justice molecule? (laughs) There are many things that are immaterial that are inexplainable by the atheistic worldview because the atheistic worldview is naturalistic. That is, there is no supernatural beginning. There is only natural explanations. And so that's why we get these what seem like to us crazy ideas about life coming in on the back of an asteroid out of space and landing on Earth. It seems totally crazy. But if you go into their worldview for a minute, and if you think, well, life had to happen naturalistically, then you start to come up with some of these ideas. So you've got this uh, this right from, as you say, our childhood, where we're fed all sorts of things, which a naturalistic worldview, uh, even atheistic worldview, trying to maneuver us away from the idea that there is a creator God. But all the evidence is pointing to God of creation, the way that we are, in fact, so much like God, created in his image and likeness. Even the creation, the way around us, the sustainable life, uh, all of the sorts of things that are even coming from the outer space. I mean, the sun's rays, the temperature of the earth, the gravitational pull that happens from the moon. And we haven't got time to go into all of those, just to say uh, some of those uh, issues here that people are completely ignoring. But these are uh, are perfectly aligned to give us an insight that there is a God who is our creator. Let's take another call. James is on the line from Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, James. Welcome. G'day, Neil. How are you doing? Good. Um, yeah, I was thinking of that expression that came out, look up and live, that was out there a while ago. We haven't heard it for a while, but it was to do with overhead power lines, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think in some ways the look up and live thing gives us a bit of an indication that even though man created it, that God could have inspired it. Like, uh, God can do whatever he wants. So if people are walking around, they've got no money, they're depressed, they're down, and they're basically walking along hoping they'll find $50 on the ground, and then they get this message that something out could be out there where Abraham looked at the stars. Maybe he's trying to get us to look at the stars at times. He's saying, oh, what, God created aliens? Well, we're aliens and sojourners, so we will find aliens on another planet because if we go there, we are the aliens and sojourners. But what I'm trying to say is that God can do whatever he wants. And you say, well, why would God do that? Well, why did God do what he did to Job? He did that because he was trying to get us to prove to him that we would worship and follow him no matter what was thrown at us. And I think we need to stop trying to create divisions that will shut down somebody and say, well, no, that's ridiculous. That's preposterous. No, we can say, well, God in the Bible says that we are aliens and sojourners. So... You know, why, why try and shut someone down with something they're trying to share? It's used as an evangelist, evangelistic fishhook to say, come into the kingdom, here's the seed of God, cast your seed out there, don't keep trying to make divisions and barriers and say, oh no, you're, 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 that's foolishness. No, maybe there is. We know there's gravity, like the, the gentleman said, that uh, it's not written in the Bible, but we know there's gravity. But if we don't know if there's something not there, why set up an argument when we can create an opportunity to bring people into the kingdom? 
I think that's God's main message in all of it, is that we can't be so strong in our own thinking that we can't listen to someone outside like Abraham listening to the, the angels tell him that his wife at uh, 70 or 90 was going to be pregnant. So really, I think that's really important for us Christians is not to keep cutting people off, shutting the kingdom of heaven down that they can't get in, but making it an opportunity to bring them in. Wonderful thoughts here, James, because so often we think, well, we don't want to engage with all that stuff because it sounds anti-God. But in actual fact, when we start to engage with those things and then bring in a creation perspective, we've created a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. And uh, what are your thoughts here for James here, Scott? Yeah, that's a really good point, Neil, and thanks, James, for the call. And yeah, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Look up and live. And you alluded to that God has used the heavenly bodies to communicate. Um, We think about the star that was above where Jesus was born. And even the very fact that we get our year from the earth uh, moving around the sun and we get our day from the earth spinning. and that's, that's amazing that we have a seven-day week because there's no celestial body that says that. It's actually only the Bible that says that. But yeah, there's a really good point, Neil, that these topics, if we know a bit about them, we can use them to bring people in towards Jesus. And people talk about aliens a lot. And so I think it's important that we have a biblical worldview of aliens and that we know where, where they come from. And as we were mentioning earlier on in the show, that actually what people now call us experiencing aliens millions and millions of people have had alien abduction experiences and they say it's very real and psychiatrists and psychologists have actually said these are sane people and they're really having these experiences we know that the spiritual realm is real and we know that these encounters demonic encounters can happen and if we have a better explanation than the naturalistic explanation that these are actually aliens then we have a good thing to give. We have something of value to bring to the table and we have something that we can talk about with unbelievers and get to talking about Christ. James, thank you so much for your call and running short of time now and uh, we just haven't got time today uh, to get into the whole idea of uh, alien encounters and uh, you know experiences with extraterrestrials and, uh, and as you're alluding to here, uh, the Christian explanation is that those are likely to be more demonically inspired. So if you want to cut to the chase uh, with a Christian view of, of those alien encounters is that there is a demonic experience that's in, in play. And of course that fits with the Christian worldview. And, uh, and and for people who think that, no, there must have been alien encounters, well, our best scientists have been looking for and listening for alien encounters and the nearest possible places that anything could come from outside of our solar system is so far away it is virtually impossible for anything like that to have come to earth it's hard for us to get to others so others are finding it just as hard to get to us so there's some challenging things there and perhaps a conversation for another day I do want to encourage listeners, uh, you can continue this conversation and uh, who knows where it'll go on Facebook. You can interact with other listeners to our conversation today. The Facebook question asks, do you think scientists will ultimately find alien life on other planets? And you'll be able to find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And if you're wondering if you want to get some contribution into that, I encourage you to go to the creation website, creation.com, because there's a searchable library 
of fabulous articles on everything you can perhaps even imagine when it comes to issues around creation and evolution and even these sorts of things we're talking about today in outer space and the possibility of alien life. You'll be able to search their database and find fabulous articles there at creation.com. Tremendous resources on the website. You've got a great team and they're across these sorts of issues. Scott, it just reminds me that the way we talk about our creation perspective is much more sophisticated is much more uh, wisdom-based than the atheist is trying to bring here. And we haven't even gotten to talk about faith and hope and love and those powerful things that give us the inspiration for our humanity. Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure to be here. We will do this with Scott another day too and uh, touch on some even deeper uh, issues that we didn't get a chance to touch on today. Thank you so much to Scott for your input on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.